0: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 181, Devil's Do.
1: Welcome
2: into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Janaj Champion. And I'm Connect Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we take a
1: hard look at an episode of Star Trek, pouring through it frame by frame, looking for what it demands of us, and ways we can get out of it.
2: This week, devils do. Devils do what?
1: Aww. Oh, I'm so sad I used that last week. Because <laughs> it would have been so much better.
2: It's yeah, not a joke week. until we do it three times.
1: That's true, so listen in next week. I don't know how we're going to work it in, but we will. <laughs> Trust us. Culture Excuse me. In a moment, John Champion will hit your head with all sorts of Devil's Due trivia. Oh yeah, Devil's Due trivia. But first, if you would like to get in touch with this show, we would love for you to do so. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we'd love to hear from you. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and places to leave comments, is missionlogpodcast.com. And please... Do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log.
2: And now it's time for trivia on Devil's Due. This episode was written by Philip Lezebnik and William Douglas Lansford. Now, the original story dates back to the 1960s. Gene Roddenberry coming up with ideas for his new show called Star Trek, kind of threw this one into the pile. And then it was revived for what would have been Star Trek Phase Two in the 1970s. It's a very similar plot line. Well, okay, the same plot line. <laughs> the idea was to use those unused scripts during the writer's strike that we discussed back during Season 2 of The Next Generation. That's how we got the Season 2 opener, The Child, and, of course, In Thy Image is what had become Star Trek The Motion Picture. So all those scripts getting reused and recycled. So this is William Douglas Lansford's last professional credit as a writer, Uh, but he had created stories prior to this for Bonanza, Wagon Train, Ironside, and Fantasy Island, to name a few. Philip Lzebnik, uh, who after this contributed to many animated projects as well as Danish TV projects, was hired by Michael Pillar to rewrite the script. And what he turned in was leaning a little too close to comedy for some taste. So it went through more rewrites from a lot of the writers that we know about, Melinda Snodgrass, etc. Finally landing on the female Ardra character. So originally that was a male character, but then things just kind of clicked into place and they decided that Ardra would be a woman. It was directed by Tom Benko. His first Next Gen directing credit was Transfigurations, remember John Doe. And he was working as an editor on Next Generation since the beginning with Encounter at Farpoint. He continued to edit for a total of 40 episodes, then went on to edit a little bit for Deep Space Nine and Voyager. But this was his second and last directorial credit for Star Trek. Now, this episode was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Costume Design. And we do open with a scene from A Christmas Carol. That story was published first in 1843. Charles Dickens himself would perform this piece starting back in 1853. He would actually act out all the characters of the book. So that gave an idea to Patrick Stewart. And he began developing a one-man show in the Dickens tradition starting in 1987. So this was a known thing and kind of worked its way into Star Trek. Let's talk about the title, Devil's Due, Uh, the meaning. So, I mean, literally it means paying the devil what you owe him. But, Ken, if we were to use a a figurative use of that, it it usually means just sort of giving a compliment to someone that you dislike. So, you know, if I were to say, uh, you know, Ken, I find your politics abhorrent, but but man, you make a great omelet. Uh, That would be like giving the devil his due. Hmm. Um, but in a literary sense, uh, we actually see the first literary use of this in, of course, our old friend Shakespeare, Henry IV, part one, um, the line uh, between Constable and uh, Orleans, or Orleans. I will cap that proverb with, there is flattery and friendship, to which he replies, and I will take up that with give the devil his due. Now, guest stars, Marcello Tubert as Acosta Jared, in addition to guest roles on shows like Heart to Heart, The A-Team, LA Law, and yes, Moonlighting, he has had recurring spots on ER, The West Wing, Young and the Restless, Days of Our Lives, and as a voice on King of the Hill, and he was in the second G.I. Joe live-action movie, Retaliation. We have Paul Lambert as Dr. Howard Clark. Paul, after World War II, studied acting on the GI Bill at Actors Lab in L.A. He appeared in TV guest roles in the 50s, then appeared in the movie Spartacus in 1960. He shows up in The Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, I Spy, a couple of episodes of The Man from U.N.C.L.E., and later in his career in shows like Ellie Law, Airwolf, and Quincy M.E. We have seen him once before in his only other Trek Credit, which was in the season one episode, When the Bow Breaks. He passed away in 1997. Now let's talk about Ardra. Uh, originally considered for the role of Ardra were actresses Stella Stevens and Adrienne Barbeau, <laughs> both of whom I am a fan. Interesting to have seen that played by either one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, Ardra is played by Marta Dubois. Marta was a regular on Tales of the Gold Monkey. She appeared on The A-Team, MacGyver, a recurring role in Magnum P.I., and was a regular in the McBride TV movies with John Larroquette.
0: It is L.A. Law meets Dante's Inferno. It is Perry Mason meets Satan. It is Devil's Do.
2: Prologue. We open with the ghost of Jacob Marley confronting his old business partner, Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, typical day on the Enterprise. In this case, it's a holodeck simulation. Commander Data is playing Scrooge in Act 1 of A Christmas Carol. There's an audience of one, Captain Picard, who freezes the program right when it's getting to the good stuff to congratulate Data on his performance. Data explains he's been studying the masters of the method so that he might understand human emotion through acting. On the bridge, Riker announces an emergency transmission from the science station at Ventax 2. It's Howard Clark from the station stating that they are in a state of crisis. Hordes of people outside running around, rioting, because they think their world is coming to an end. Act 1. Arriving at Ventax 2, there is chaos in the science station, but the Enterprise transporter room is only able to beam up Dr. Clark. He explains that the Ventaxian people they study live in an agrarian society, but a thousand years ago they were technologically advanced. They gave it all up, and about seventy years ago, when they were discovered by the Klingons, they still refused any technological assistance. Their leader, Akost Jarad, has grown obsessed in recent years with the ancient legend of Ardra, who he warns is going to return. Who is this Ardra? You might ask. Well, you could interpret her many ways, but they think she is the devil. Literally, like she's an ancient god figure who has returned to collect on a bargain she made with the Ventaxians a thousand years ago. In the science station, things have gotten worse. Across Jared's people have broken in and taken the scientist hostage. Picard offers to negotiate Federation support, weapons, etc. as long as they let these people go. Jared says it wouldn't matter anyway. The earthquakes that are happening, the visions of Ardra, it was all foretold, and it's all coming true. No weapon can stop her. Deanna Troy is so on top of this. Yep, those people are freaked out. Genuinely so. Data lays out what the deal was. A thousand years ago, Ardra offered the Ventaxians peace, but for a small price. When she returned, they would become her slaves. Picard wants to look for himself. He beams down with Worf, Data, and Deanna. It is chaotic on the surface, people running around, just just running, stuff burning behind them. When Picard meets Jared, he asks to again let them help, or at least get the Federation people back. Data says what's going on with the earthquake offers little real danger, but Jared and his people are so worried that Arger is coming, and she does... Right there, out of thin air, Ardra appears with the dire proclamation that time is up. Act two, more chaos, more running, more burning, and Ardra is all about business. She puts Jared right in his place. He is to provide a census and economic accounting of all that is hers now. Picard is decidedly less in awe of her and lets it be known he wants to know who she is, and in fact, she is just about every bad guy imaginable. The devil, even. To Worf, she instantly takes the form of Feklar, the guardian of the dishonored. Imagine a Klingon, but with nastier teeth and more drooling. Picard, though, is a non-believer in Ardra. He asks to see the contract, and in short order, he does. He requests that Data give it a look, and Ardra, in a show of good faith, demands that Jared let the Federation hostages go free, after all. She's got her sights on a bigger prize. She thinks Picard finds her irresistible. Back on the Enterprise, Picard is trying to get to the bottom of it all with his staff. He's pretty sure that she is a flim flam artist, using simple tricks with technology to show off her not so special powers. He orders a deep scan of the area to see if there might be a ship or some power source helping her out. Jordy will go back to the science station with Dr. Clark to see if there are any clues about the origin of the earthquakes. Back on the bridge, who should be sitting in the big chair but Ardra herself? When Worf approaches to forcibly remove her, she creates the kind of force field out of thin air, knocking him back. Then she approaches Picard, who just calls the transporter room to have her beamed off the ship. She dematerializes, but wait, the person at the helm now is... Ardra? About that time, Data walks in to say that he is finished studying the Vintaxian contract, and the news is not good. It's a pretty solid deal, indicating that Ardra is owed the population of Ventax 2, the planet itself, anything in the sky or in orbit around it. That includes the Enterprise, and that includes everyone on the ship. Act 3. Time to study. Picard, being an enlightened man of the 24th century, needs to learn about this outdated concept of the con game. He enlists Data's help to out-con the con artist based on the premise that, yes, there is a contract in place, but the root cause, the claim of Ardra's supernatural power, should be in question. Maybe this is a theology that simply built up around a contract devised for very practical reasons, and now this Ardra is here to take advantage. Fear is a powerful motivator. Picard wants Data to try to find a loophole that would allow them to challenge the contract. That night, Picard is asleep when a visitor appears in his quarter. Yeah, you know who. It's Ardra, and she is turning on the seduction. Picard is uninterested. Oh, she tries. A wardrobe change and then appearing as Deanna Troy, but the kind of Deanna Troy who can't keep her hands off the captain? Awkward. And when he turns her down for the last time, Ardra magically transports Picard to the science station in his uh, sleeping clothes. Not the most dignified thing. Since she has now also somehow blocked the ship's transporter, Picard asks for a shuttle to pick him up and bring him a uniform. On the ride back, Data tells Picard that a, a little bit of Intaxian law allows for a third-party arbitrator in disputes. Hold that thought, we might need it later. Anyway, Picard and Data are close to the Enterprise and their shuttle when the Enterprise just disappears. It is nowhere to be seen and doesn't respond to hails. Act 4. So back in the science station, they're still looking for the Enterprise, but Geordi is onto something, a jump in Z-particles, which is just sciencey enough that he thinks they can use that to trace the source of Arger's power, as long as she keeps using them. Speak of the devil, literally, she shows up again, and now Picard is ready for her by suggesting an arbitration. He will prove that she is a fraud, but if she wins, she wants him, mind, body, and spirit. Picard agrees. One little detail, who will be the arbitrator? Ardra chooses Data. And even over his concerns to Captain Picard, it is settled, since he is dispassionate enough to deliver a fair verdict. Let the games begin akos Jared is first on the stand, and he gives the background. A thousand years ago, the Warring Ventaxians were offered a future of peace and prosperity, an era ushered in and maintained by Ardra. Picard questions if this even really is Ardra, but Data assures them that, yes, according to law, they will have to go with that premise. She fits what the ancient scrolls describe, arriving on the right date and preceded by earthquakes. Then things get a little weird when Ardra asks to question Picard. She goes through a demonstration of her powers. earthquake shape-shifting, and asks if he can explain it. Picard relents, no, he cannot. Ardra rests her case. Act 5. Computers! Z-particles! Aligning trajectories! Scientists! Looking very concerned. This is what we need. Geordi has found a spot in orbit around Vintax 2. And what do we have here? Nothing. At least it appears to be nothing. But Geordi has doubts. Back in the courtroom, Picard is examining Jared and asks how the thousand years of peace and prosperity happened. Did Ardra snap her fingers? Did she teach them? Did she change the government and get rid of their weapons? No. Even Jared admits this. The people of Ventax change things slowly over time by themselves. Even with this admission, Jared admits under cross-examination from Ardra that he believes none of it would have been possible without Ardra. Just as things are about to wrap up, Geordi drops by and asks to talk with Picard. They'll take a one-hour recess. You know what? We don't even need an hour. Geordi explains they found a cloaked ship, and that gets the wheels turning. When the arbitration returns, Picard shows Jared that he has stolen Ardra's powers. A quick earthquake, making Ardra disappear, and most impressive of all, Picard himself turns into Feklar. That cloaked ship had all of Ardra's secrets. Tractor beams, holograms, transporters. She was controlling all of the effects with subtle cues from her eyes. And what's more, she has a record of doing this. At least 23 aliases in this sector alone. And she would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids. Archer tries to make a gracious exit, but Jared has already called security. Data declares the contract null and void. Jared is on his way back to work, presumably. Picard and Data are on their way to the Enterprise, but Archer can't help but tell Picard he'll see her again someday. The end.
1: So, how long do you think before the Ventaxians are back to warring? Ten minutes. (laughs) (laughs) We have nothing to fear. But I yeah. don't like the way that guy's looking at me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that, like, that contract, it was so good for a thousand years, but what do we do now? Yeah, exactly. Guess we go back to fighting. Yeah. <laughs> Probably tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. tomorrow. But just a quick note, that, that little mention of the method. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the episode, um, a kind of emotional recall rather than acting like, you know, up until you had guys like Brando at the scene and they were they were studying Stanislavski and Chekhov and all of this. There was a kind of acting that was this very presentational uh, sort of, you know, shallow presenting in, instead of sort of introspective emotional recall type of acting. And I thought it was funny that Picard said that that was so old fashioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as the approach so then I wondered well in the 24th century what is acting like a- has it just regressed back to that pre-method style a very presentational kind of what we would consider to be very fake sort of like silent movies you know maybe <laughs> entertainment in the 24th century is not very good I,
1: I'll be honest I often think about entertainment in the 24th century when we're watching mm-hmm. this show, I'm like, what's on the radio? Is there anything like the radio at that point? Do they have talk stations? Do they have podcasts? Do they have people sitting, you know, when they get done peeling potatoes, do they go back to their room and <laughs> record some show for everybody else on the Enterprise? I don't, I mean, I, I, I wondered about that, you know, a, a, a few times. I will say the thing that actually interested me about that conversation, though, mm. uh, when Sarek was coming... Was it when Sarek was coming? And, and Data's like, I'm going to perform. I got, all these, uh, I got all these guys that I can uh, imitate. Right. right. And Picard's like, don't, don't imitate. Come on, try to make your own thing. And, then, yeah. and that's basically what he's doing here. He's, he's saying, well, I like this guy, I like this guy, but really I'm trying my own thing with the acting. And Picard's like, right. hey, way to go, you. Yeah, nice right. job. Yeah, right. Even though it is, of course, brought up that he couldn't possibly, you know, feel, and thus he can't really uh, do the method, but he's doing sort of a reverse method.
2: He is. He is. That's a really interesting idea. And by the way, um, this won't date our show because it doesn't matter if I said that I had this conversation today and Mm -hmm. today is today or today is six months from now when somebody hears this episode. But but just today, I, I had the privilege of talking to students about. Star Trek and about Mission Log and about the the topics we discuss on Mission Log and Mm -hmm. somebody actually brought that up as something that bothers her about Star Trek. She said literally, where are the artists? Where are the TVs? Where are the movies? What is the experience of going to a movie like in the twenty fourth century? Sure, you've got holodecks, mm-hmm. but but what about just as a spectator? Like, I, do I go into a holodeck and then does Casablanca play around me, or or how does that work? <laughs> yeah. Because so far, you know, what we've seen, and we didn't get into it, but what we've seen is um, Riker. Watching just the really sad little hologram
1: on a table. Oh, that was just and, the beginning of a much nicer hologram, is what we're. Yeah, well, it, it was or a much yeah. more interesting hologram. Let's say I, I am going to go ahead and date our show right now. Okay, go ahead. I am actually hoping that that five years from now, when people hear what I'm about to say, that mm-hmm. they'll scoff. Okay. I've been a, I've been a like huge fan of the idea of virtual reality since the very early 1990s. Literally January of 1990 was the first time I heard my first presentation on virtual reality. Wow. And That's as you funny. and I are recording this now, mm. it, it's like blowing up all over the place and like all these everybody's basically trying to say that what they're doing is virtual reality, including 360 degree video. Mm. And people are like, oh well, that's well, that's virtual reality. Well, no, it's really just looking anyplace, place, but you know, not being able to move around in it, right? right. I mean, you're still right. you're, you're deciding which viewpoint you want, but somebody else is still directing. Somebody else is still doing. I mean, the holodeck is is like no small thing because I would imagine that what what watching Casablanca is like on the holodeck is you walk into something that would look like the El Capitan, or maybe look mm-hmm. like the Wang Center in Boston, or look like, uh, you know, the best movie palace that you can imagine. And then you're sitting in a 1950s, 1960s, early 2000s, whatever movie theater watching Casablanca. I mean, you're mm-hmm. having you're having mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I would imagine right. there's a different right. one where you can actually move around inside of Casablanca as well. But then I'm going to go let Rick do something, and I'm actually going to go upstairs at the uh, at the uh, at the at the place because I've always wanted to know what was up there.
2: Yeah, and I want to stay away from the shooting too. Yeah, that'd so, be good. Yeah.
1: that'd probably yeah. be good. I mean, it's it's it, it is a fascinating idea. Or are we to believe that? All of the problems of the 24th century have been solved, including boredom. <laughs> so we don't actually right? need, no. like, radio shows and TV shows. Who wants to watch The Real Housewives of Ventex 3? Ventex 3, by the way, sucks. Don't go there. Ventex <laughs> 2, that's where you want to be after, after the looting's over. Right. got to say really quickly, Ventex 2 is basically made to not be looted mm-hmm. um, because it's like you got a ziggurat and then you walk a mile <laughs> and there's another ziggurat. <laughs> yeah. Unless they're all mixed-use facilities—residence, office, and uh, you know, retail—in mm-hmm. in which case, Ventax Two is basically made to be looted because <laughs> you don't even have to go anywhere. Just <laughs> roll out of bed, break a few yeah. windows, go back to bed.
2: Yeah, yeah. Why I like that. Those, those Ventaxians—they they planned either well.
1: either they were not planning at all or they were planning very well. Not sure which. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I don't want to make this the whole thing because (laughs) it it could have turned into a whole thing. But but quick question. If the Ventaxians have lived in an agrarian society for a thousand years and they have eschewed technology and the Federation has a science station there to study them, is that some kind of a violation of the prime directive as we have seen it? Or since the Klingons have made first contact, does that just mean that all bets are off? I would think it would be
1: that all bets were off because the Klingons made first contact. What I was trying to figure out is how did the Klingons make first contact and not take over? But if it okay. happened 70 years ago, then it would have been after the Kittimer Accord, right?
2: Uh, yes. You're yeah. Absolutely.
1: So that's yeah. how you end up. Seriously, though, somebody probably after they got the first letter about Venta- Ventax would have been like, yeah. oh, wait a minute. Uh, yeah. Listen, about first contact, maybe we could take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the right. Vulcans could take care of that because they do this whole thing. It's like a show. It's really amazing. Yeah. Maybe let them no, do that. Right. Um, the agrarian society thing actually made me wonder, why would this scam artist uh, want anything from these people unless it really was to enslave them? Yeah, to like right. make things right. for her or something like that? Because she says she wants an economic forecast, but they're agrarian. So, so mm-hmm. I kept thinking like, mm-hmm. so she says, so what is the economic forecast? And they're like, well, pork bellies are good, but soybeans are down this year. <laughs> um had a late freeze that ruined the crops. I guess, you know, maybe you could have done something about that. hey godlike powers? <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Well, sadly. Yeah. Come back next year because next year we're, we're expecting a bumper crop of, uh, of soybeans, <laughs> maybe. Right.
2: Well, we see now. Maybe now it, it all makes a little better sense to me because rather than looking at this as like the um, the the duck blind and the the federation people who are studying the Montaukans and yeah. who watches the watchers, now really I see it just more like say visiting the Pennsylvania Dutch country. <laughs> And you have a lot of people who sort of eschew modern technology, but, like, the restaurants are open, yep. and you can get some great fried chicken.
1: Absolutely. They will make okay. you some, some wonderful food there. The Ventaxian, yeah, be sure to visit that. And, and and pick up some of their popcorn, too. I don't know mm-hmm. why, but it's it's just so much better than the, the rest of the galaxies.
2: Yeah. Speaking of food, I love that Picard has time to take tea with Dr. Clark while all hell is breaking loose on the planet below. Yeah. I mean, the, the, just the you see on the screen like those sparks flying, running around, and there's hostages. And then we cut to this very quiet scene, and there's very little urgency in Doctor Clark's voice because hey, he's on a starship now. Yeah, he's fine. It's like yeah, l- let me tell you a little story.
1: It doesn't surprise <laughs> so, me at all that the Picard would do that because remember the the Picard lesson, sir. Should we leave orbit and go where? Oh, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. So mm-hmm. he might as well have tea. He's going to be sitting there, like you right. know, trying to figure out what to do. Does he need to stand to do that? Does he need to not have tea to do that? No, no, no. He can do both, I think.
2: I noticed early on that Ardra is a palindrome. For what? <laughs> but Sorry. it's it's, Ar- it's I love Ardra. That. I love
1: doing <laughs> but, that. I know. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It's the same thing backwards and forwards. I actually like that. Yes. Um, as far as deity name goes, names go, I mm-hmm. think that's actually really cool because, like, you know, it, it, it beats the whole alpha and omega thing. Right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. travel as far back as you want, or go as far forward as you want. Ardra, either way, and yeah. I, I think that's actually that's actually it's it's sort of like when we found out that Mister Ataz was actually A to Z, right? For the librarian, you name a god, Ardra, right. or something like that. I don't know, Dodd maybe, or Gog, whatever. Yeah, same yeah. thing backwards uh-huh. and forwards. Palindrome is totally the way to go for a deity,
2: or a race car. That'll be that'll be my deity. Also, my <laughs> favorite palindrome. <laughs> that's awesome i worship this yeah. car what are you <laughs> right. six yeah okay maybe um i like that when he gets the ancient scrolls the 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 old contract that uh picard says i would like mr data to read this <laughs> uh follow that line with so i don't have to yeah because data is like a walking Cliff notes yeah and i would love to have that at my beck and call
1: It seemed a bit like having a grad student to me
2: Sure.
0: (laughs)
1: Sure. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we're going to pour over this. Hey, you, go pour over this, would you? Um, I like actually sort of along the similar line. So Ardra is in Picard's chair, and he's like, leave, or I will remove you by force. And she's like, oh, by force. I'd like to see you try it. And he says, Mr. Worf. (laughs) I love that. That's he, so great.
2: Yeah. But Picard literally does not even take a step toward yeah, her.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Or,
2: or move his eyes. And He's Worf's like, over there yeah. like, man,
1: yep. the captain's going to tr- me. Uh, <laughs> this is so uncool. And I just throw myself across the room and save us all some time. What do you say? Yeah. Hey, another question, by the way, raised by this show. Mm -hmm. Remember, I guess it was like last week, two weeks ago, when we had the Romulan Mm -hmm. who was pretending to be the Vulcan and nobody was questioning her because she was Vulcan and Vulcans never lie? And I was like, man, they got amazing PR action going, right? Yeah. yeah. So do androids. Ardra chooses Data because he's incapable of deceit. And I'm trying to figure out why Mm -hmm. we think he's incapable of deceit. I know because we know Data, he's incapable of deceit. But seriously, if I build a robot, I'm Mm -hmm. going to program it to lie for me when I don't want to do something. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's going to yeah. be one of the first things I build in. So she's like, oh, well, he's totally dispassionate. And Picard's like, yeah, you're totally right. He is. Hey, Data, one one thing over here really quickly. I don't understand where that came from unless it's just like, again, just like the best PR job, uh, you know, in the galaxy.
2: It's good PR. And it's funny because what you're describing actually would fit within the three laws of robotics. It really would. Yeah. Because Data just has to find in favor. First of all, it's an order from a human. He has to follow it. Right. You know, and, and he has to do that as long as it doesn't harm other humans. And granted, the least harm would be to find in favor of the Vintaxians, not right. to find in favor of Ardra. So he, he could logically work his way around just finding for the Enterprise no <laughs> matter what, like you said.
1: That would have been awesome if they hadn't even had the trial. Yeah, right. Because he can he right. work all of that in his head and be like, well, I know what's going to be best here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's yeah. there actually a moral absolute to that. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Um, so now we learned in this episode that Picard has some pretty conservative tastes in women. Wow. I, I thought that was interesting. Maybe, you know, that uh, she's there as Ardra with a capital A and then she goes for like the Victorian riding costume which I, I thought was, uh, was an interesting choice. And, and then the other thing that kind of amused me here is that Picard says to uh, Geordi that his reputation as a litigator is failing. And I, I was just sort of amused that he thinks of himself that way. You know, not, not my reputation as a Starfleet captain, not my reputation as the brother of a great winemaker, none of these other things. But no, I'm, I'm Jean-Luc Picard, space litigator. <laughs>
0: Ardra is a palindrome. Radar is also a palindrome. Additionally, Radar is an anagram of Ardra. I know that she is not a supernatural being, but how did Ardra not see this trouble coming?
1: So what I found myself wondering after I watched this episode, almost immediately after I watched this episode, is, is this episode saying there is no God? Or is it simply saying that organized religion is a sham you you did not waste any time I did not no no <laughs> seriously the credits were rolling and I was like well, I don't want to do yeah. this show. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest um right. we've come across any number of seemingly omnipotent beings in our trek amongst the stars um i see what you did there trilane yeah it's a little it's a little doff of the hat to uh Cochrane cochran as well or doff of the jughead hat mm-hmm. to set cochran uh trilane the metrons um kevin uxbridge q lucian who by oh, the way gets no up. props in this episode but whatever We've established that there are godlike beings in the Star Trek universe, but we know that this one is not one. Somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, Picard has decided this. It's even brought up, oh, could she be Q or could she be an offshoot of Q? No, 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 she's a sham. Mm-hmm. Well, why is she a sham? But Q is not a sham. Q's an annoyance, but he's not, a, he's, not a, he's not a sham, right? Yeah. What's interesting is with the exception of uh, the god thing shepherding the Edo, uh, most of the godlike beings that we have encountered have not been interested in lording it over people, right? Um, yeah. Apollo did, or was. He wanted to be treated like a god still. Mm-hmm. And Gary Mitchell uh, very much wanted to be treated like a god, which is funny because he wasn't one like 10 mm-hmm. minutes ago, although I think he kind of thought he was, but whatever. Oh, they're, the, right, they're the big right. exceptions. And then the one for the Edo, but the one for the Edo was still like trying to shepherd its people, I felt like. It wasn't just like, you know, praise me. Um, so I guess what I was wondering with this episode is, is Star Trek making a statement not about deities or godlike beings as much as they are about organized religion. Um, people are beings who would stand over others and use the faith of others for their benefit. Is that what's on trial mm. here, or is faith on trial here? Is the idea of a god on trial here, or is the idea that you need to jump through hoops to get blessing?
2: Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I I, I think that both of those are legitimate points to come up from this episode and more. I I think there's even more stuff that that we can get into with this. Um, But that's certainly a theme that we've seen in Star Trek before. You know, you you mentioned the godlike beings. But what's interesting is when you pick apart some of those godlike beings like Lucian, like Apollo, Mm -hmm. um, that's where Star Trek is starting to actually feed you a message um and we talked about it with who watches the watchers where the the idea is not necessarily that faith as a concept is a bad thing Mm -hmm. but that faith to the extent that we stop using our rational brains and stop the exploration to find out what may be at the at the root of the experiences that we have that that's really where we we stop developing and we stop progressing as as thinking beings here's here's where i
1: have a problem with that idea though being addressed in this mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. they're they're using their brains There were going to be earthquakes the day that Ardra was coming back, and there are earthquakes the day that Ardra was coming back, and then Ardra was going to come back, and then she did. And she can do all this magic Mm -hmm. stuff. Now, so, I mean, they're being presented with evidence at that point. Do you see what I mean? And and sure, sure, Picard says, well, no, 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 this isn't really real. Although there's no reason to assume that this isn't real, because we did have the Metarons, and we did have Kevin Uxbridge, and we did have Trelane, and we did have Q. I mean, it's sort of like unless unless the part that tips him off to this god not being a god is the fact that this god's like hey look at me i'm god do you know what i mean i mean is is right, that is right. that the difference here is that what's being is that what's being castigated any god that basically says no seriously treat me like god then you're like well wow, what would god want with that
2: well, no, but I, I think that you, you have at least with Star Trek's star characters like a Captain Picard or like a Captain, Bikirk, uh, Captain Kirk when <laughs> P- Captain Kirk, Bikirk. is a new guy. He's playing on. <laughs> I like him. Um, Can he yeah. be in the new series, please? <laughs> <laughs> but when, when he meets the guy like Apollo, you're starting from the premise that they have rejected this idea of supernatural gods. Mm-hmm. So you, you're starting from that idea, and even though there are phenomena happening, things like earthquakes, which, uh, okay, from our rational scientific minds, we can say, okay, earthquakes are things that happen on planets, and here's why and how they happen. Plates move, this happens, and they, uh, sometimes there are earthquakes that are man-made. We've seen that in our own world, the, that there are man-made earthquakes. So it's taking the next step to say, okay, where's the evidence for the evidence? You know, what is the cause for the evidence we're seeing? Because you can stop at a point and say, this is evidence, but, but I have already come up with a conclusion as to, you know, what I'm looking for, what I'm looking to say. So I'll mold that evidence to fit that conclusion. I'll give you an example. So um, if I talk to people who are uh, ghost hunters, mm-hmm. you know, and and they say, okay, well, here, I took this picture, and it's got this fuzzy orb in it, this light, the, this fuzzy thing in it. Now, I'm starting with the premise that, that ghosts are a thing that I can photograph. Therefore, every time I take a picture that has something fuzzy in it, that then justifies my belief that, that there are ghosts. Instead of going through the other steps to say, I took a photograph, there's something fuzzy in it. I didn't see anything fuzzy when I took the photograph, so what's creating the fuzz? What's creating that, that light where I didn't expect there to be light? And then actually doing the steps to figure that out instead of saying I've already come up with the conclusion. So I'm going to make the evidence fit the conclusion. And that's actually something that I sort of run off into this, this idea that I had. You know, one of the things that we're seeing here is we certainly have the problem of a tautological argument. You know, what Ardra says must be true because the document that describes Ardra says that this is what she will do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But we haven't actually proven anything to say that, well, Ardra's background, the, the Ardra that we have met here, the, the this Ardra, actually has any claim to anything that she claims that she can do all we have is a document we just have a document saying okay this is what an ardra is able to do so Mm -hmm. as long as anybody shows up I can do any of that stuff they can say oh yeah see it was in the it was in the book and and the book says that that's me so I must be me um yeah it's a a bad piece of logical argument to get into and that's why you when i say you i mean the the people of ventax or anybody dealing with this kind of a thing have to actually step out and say okay there's the claim being made but what's the actual underlying evidence and where does that evidence actually lead us to as a conclusion instead of starting with a conclusion because ardra has already started with the conclusion i'm ardra i'm a god i'm here to take what's mine Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, it's funny. My first note on watching this before I even got to the end of it, I just wrote down uh, Lucian with a question mark and maybe a little bit of Sylvia. Sylvia. A bit of Sylvia. Then, See, the yeah. only time I got Sylvia off this actually was in the seduction
1: scene. That was like fashions by okay. Sylvia of Sylvia and Korob. Um, right. I don't understand why, like why it is that Star Trek thinks, oh, well, if, 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 if a woman is trying to be sexy, she's going to tease her hair out a foot. Just huge, yeah. Just, because both yeah. Sylvia and Ardra.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I know what he would like. He of no hair. He'd probably like it if I had hair, like you know, <laughs> enough for three of us. <laughs> you know, I guess. It struck me as kind of weird.
2: And had the the flowing kind of see through robe, all of that. It was it was a very Sylvia look. It was a very yeah. Sylvia look. Yes, although
1: I mean, she she pulled up seduction a bit a bit better than Sylvia did. Oh, you think? Not yeah. not not overly because right. cause I'm I'm sort of with Picard it was a little too uh, it was a little too much yeah. <laughs> I think you know <laughs> wine me, dine me, don't be like wow look at me Like, a, sort of like a she's that kind of god though she's that kind of oh, look at me I'm a god kind of yeah. person I want to come back by the way to that uh, later in the show I want to come back to the okay. whole because I, I, still, I still don't see this as an argument against supernatural or deity or faith I still hmm. I still see it as as use of that, but we'll do it in the next segment, sure,
2: okay um, you know as a literary device just to to point out because I, I think a lot of people probably do get this already, but you have a Faustian bargain at the at the center of this, so if we're going to point to the other literary influences in the show, you have Faust selling one soul to the devil for a, a short term gain, or in this place a thousand year gain um. Uh, but uh, I, I do want to talk a bit about the show as sort of the the lesson in skepticism that I that I touched on just a, a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Um, every special power can be explained by other phenomena, uh, and those things are falsifiable. You know, you can say, "Well, okay, this this thing happened." Here are. All the other reasons that that thing could happen here. All the other reasons that an earthquake could be caused. And in their case, tractor beams apparently do a very nice job about it. And that's what makes the opening fun with Ebenezer Scrooge going through the possibilities that would cause him to hallucinate the appearance of Jacob Marley. So it was a really good choice of a scene. If we're going to just hammer home <laughs> what the what the theme is there what are the, the, the things that we'll see play out when Scrooge is visited by Marley he keeps rationalizing to himself okay these are all the reasons that you are not Jacob Marley you, you're me having a bad reaction to some food that I ate so I, I like having that in there with him trying to walk himself through every other possible explanation other than the ghost of his former business partner showing up And Picard, Picard is in the position that skeptics find themselves in, uh, in the courtroom scene in particular, um, in which Ardra says to him, okay, here are all these things that happened, and I'm just going to lay them all out. I I transformed, I caused earthquakes, um, I was able to make you disappear and reappear, can you explain it? And he says No. And the problem then is the thinking that a guy like Ekos Jarrett is doing, which is then saying, well, that particular series of events couldn't be explained yet by the knowledge at hand. Therefore the supernatural explanation must be the right one. And that's where you put the big no with the exclamation point, because that's not how, that's not how rational skeptical minds work because just because you have missing information and I think that's sort of what we were talking about at the beginning here. That doesn't mean that you stop investigating. It doesn't mean that you stop looking for the evidence of the evidence, not just saying, well, this all kind of fits together. So we'll leave it there. And, and the, the narrative of the supernatural God being, it fits everything that we are telling ourselves to believe now. It fits well enough. Okay, good. We're done. No more investigation. It also points out very nicely how we can interpret prophecies to mean whatever we want. You know, whatever is convenient to fit, whether it's a personal or, uh, or a social narrative. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was entertained because this is very recently. I, uh, I, I saw that scene. Remember in uh, Star Trek IV when Spock, the revived Spock, is looking at the computers. They're asking him all of these questions. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the ultimate one is, how do you feel? Right, you know, and he has a little little problem with that one. But one of the questions that was in there is, "What was Kiri Kenthaw's first law of metaphysics?" And his answer is, "Nothing unreal exists," which I, I thought well, that's sort of a great starting point. So, if they're going as Picard is here, that the the unreal is this idea of a uh, you know, multi-centuries-old devil that has shown up to lay claim on a 1,000-year-old contract. He's starting with this idea that this is not real. Therefore, those things do not exist the way that uh, the way that they've been described. Right. Therefore, he has to pull the mask off, I keep just trying, like Scooby-Doo.
1: Well, I keep trying to hold off, though, until the next segment for this, but here's the problem mm-hmm. that I have. Okay, understanding okay, yeah. that Star Trek is not real, understanding mm-hmm. that all yeah, this stuff right. does not actually exist, in the thing that we have built around Star Trek, they do there is a Q there is a Lucian. the only reason <clears throat> like, why is Q not a god? because Q has never been interested in being a god that's <clears throat> it, but Q has godlike powers could Q certainly could create life or 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 at least you know guide life in such a way He could have whole armies of people who worship him, he could be Moadib. he could be leading people across the galaxy fighting in his behalf, right. The only reason he's not is because he doesn't want to be, because he's busy doing something else. We have we have seen stories where there are people with godlike powers in Star Trek. And so for Picard to see one and go, Yeah, but that one's not. That's just that's just a little that's just a little writer ex machina here. That's just this week Picard is smart enough to know that this is just a person trying to pull a sham right even though he's come across people like these that he can't explain before that's why I don't that's why I don't honestly feel like this is i don't feel like this is saying as much about god or as much about religion as it is about people who would use religion against you right. that to me is the real message of this one i don't i don't honestly feel like this particular episode takes a stance on religion or deities and others do others mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. and others will again but I assume others will again. But, I mean, for, for Picard, it, it honestly almost doesn't work for me that Picard's like, nah, nah, she's a fraud. I, it's in my gut. I mean, that's really all he's got yeah. to go on here. Because, sure, something could explain how Q does what Q does. But, I mean, for all intents and purposes, he's a god. And and we've well, come, yeah, we've but, come but, across but, a million of them.
2: Yeah, but but Q and the Metreons and everybody else, they have not claimed to be gods, and and even Apollo— who said that, well, you know, I kind of played fast and loose with this idea of, you know, feeding off the worship of others. But Apollo is still a guy from a planet with a very nice uh, temple Mm -hmm. (laughs) to live in, you know. Um, Once you have that being, whether it's Ardra that uses, from our perspective on Star Trek, more kind of conventional technology, Mm -hmm. or it's Q, who... Has ascended to a level of power that we don't understand and probably would not understand for a very long time to come after the era that uh, the era that Picard and and his crew is set in. But they are still actual beings. They, they are still beings that show up that can be talked to, that can be measured, that can be uh, the, their powers can be measured, and you can actually see what it is that they do. And Mm -hmm. once it stops being a supernatural thing, it is part of the natural world. So even though Q has powers we don't understand and is able to manipulate things in ways that we don't understand, he still does exist for the reality of this crew on the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he stops being supernatural. He is part of the natural universe. It's just... There's more for us to study and there's more for us to actually learn, even though, uh, you know, when something is advanced as the Enterprise comes along, it makes us and our technology look like ants compared to a human. But but that's all right, because I think Star Trek does that very often. You know, every time they introduce one of these characters, one of these characters is not necessarily a god, but they're just an advanced thing in the universe that then needs to be understood. And it kind of gives us a reality check to say, yeah, you've got great technology, you're doing great things, but you still have a long way to go. But there's so much more you could do, right?
1: Mm-hmm. There's so much yeah. more
2: that you could become.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I, it's still, I mean, I, I think, we're running along similar lines here, but uh, but to me, mm-hmm. the, the message that I took away from it was just uh, well, we're not to the messages part yet. I just keep getting stuck on. I mean, it, it, I don't know that I would even necessarily say that a god is not a part of the natural world. I understand you're using the term supernatural, and I get that, but I mean, it could just be mm-hmm. you know just advanced enough that we just don't get it. Doesn't mean that we can't become that thing eventually. It seems to me though that it's the it's the using it's the using of that that is the. That is the the crime here, not the belief, because who was the first Ardra? How was that whole thing? How was that whole thing first born? In this story, right. it took me a while to realize, okay, this actually because I thought it was just a thousand year con. I thought it was you know she was like going around to all these different places, mm-hmm. planting seeds and then coming back like the Benny Jesuit, and there everybody that's your second doing reference for today i <laughs> mean i thought I thought she was basically like her own Benny Jesuit going around and like you know planting these seeds and then coming back later to you know get whatever she can get from it. It's actually yeah. a little bit less believable that she just happened to learn and happened to you know that's i mean she is a good con person yeah,
2: yeah yeah well but it, see and i and I, I saw it just as believable that ardra is not a thousand years old or two thousand years old or i mean could be because star trek star trek us, yeah right yeah yeah and, they, and they've shown us people and species that live a really really long time but to me it's just as believable that somebody shows up has technology and is some way able to you know, see what the records of this planet holds. Yeah. He goes, oh, oh, they're expecting this. Great. I will step <laughs> right in and I will I will fulfill that role. Yeah. Again, it, it's the Ghostbusters rule. You know, it, someone Somebody asks asked you, if your God. God, you say yes. And she said yes.
1: Yeah. Well, except nobody asked her. She just showed up and she's like, hey, guess what time it is. <laughs> hey, kids, right. what time well, is well, she's, it? It's Ardra yeah. time
2: she's taking advantage of, of Asimov's rule that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic and it just happened that she found people that were living enough without technology that mm-hmm. they would be amazed by magic. So you know lucky her. I Good. got for her.
1: I gotta love your ability to quote that but you gotta get the source right it's Clark.
2: It is Clark oh my gosh you're yeah. right. Yeah
1: right. that just for saves absolutely. you some yeah. emails man don't worry about yeah, it. Thank you. Yeah, Thank no you. Pro- no problem at all.
0: Did the Enterprise arrest Ardra's crew and impound her ship? If not, why has no one beamed her out yet?
1: Oh, (laughs) Janaj. Yes, Kenrek. From the No Kenic. Come on,
2: dude. Oh, Kenneck. Yeah, it's oh, all right.
1: Gosh. Yeah, from the beginning of the show I to the you. end of the show and back again. If you played this show from the very last episode, which is years from now, theoretically, mm-hmm. uh, all the way to the first episode, it's John either way. And it's Ken either yeah. way, or Janajan, Kenneck. The show is Devil's Do, and it's now uh, the part of the show where we ask ourselves what the messages, morals, and meanings are and whether we feel like the episode holds up. I throw that question to you first, Mr. Champion. Uh, Which I couldn't Mm. figure out how to, like, say that the same forward and backwards. I couldn't make that a a, a palindrome. Although I also didn't really try. (laughs) Devil's do. Does it hold up, John?
2: It's a weird sort of step away from what we have just seen in Next Generation. Mm -hmm. Because it it feels like old Star Trek because it is old Star Trek. You can picture (laughs) this script being played out by Kirk and Spock. Yeah, Kirk, Kirk in the Picard role, Spock in the Data role, and then you introduce the the devil character, and and maybe it's played by the woman who played Sylvia. I don't know, but mm-hmm. you could picture this being played out that way. Um, there are things about it that might feel a little dated, and there are things about it that might um, might not hold up production wise. But I think I think overall, this is sort of classic Star Trek and mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing that that I would say thematically because there is so much to talk about. You kind of have to see you, you sort of have to put it out there with with other episodes. Now, it's maybe not the best Star Trek episode, not the best next generation episode, um, but but I think it's kind of essential Star Trek, at least to get an idea of what this world of the 24th century is all about and and the the point of view of these these advanced humans who live in the 24th century are all about so yeah i am going to say that it holds up even though it feels just a little weird it feels a little <laughs> odd you know well it feels it, it feels does...
1: weird after we've had all this like you know uh, uh, character development family issues i mean we we're we're in mm-hmm. season 4 now right yeah. Yeah. And people feel like that's really where it takes off, because we really get to know why it is that Picard hates his brother. And that's so not Star Trek. Heck, Kirk doesn't even remember that he had a brother. I mean, right, that's, right. that's Star Trek. Right. Kirk has a yeah, family. Yeah. It depends who's writing it this week. OK, well, then, yes, Kirk has a family. So, I mean, you're right. It, it's it's yeah, it almost feels clunky. And yet, as you say, it is it is very much a, it is very much a Star Trek. I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but... Uh,
2: no, 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 that, that was, I thought that was your perfect chance to come in and tell me if you think it
1: holds. Oh, well, um, the problems that I have with it are weird. Um, okay. The fact that we have come across so many, and I think I said this like five times during the last segment, mm-hmm. the fact that we've come across so many super powerful beings, and Picard is like, yeah, but this isn't one of them, he bases that on nothing. And, mm-hmm. I, and I have a problem, and that actually holds this episode back for me. I would mm. rather there had been some sort of reveal or something that he had picked up on. Like last week we were talking about when they, when they came across the ship that had the, the subspace whatever thing and they couldn't see what was inside the ship. That yeah. was a clue to Picard. He needed a clue in this episode because he has – bet he he's hung out with Kevin Uxbridge. He knows that there are people that can do the kinds of things that she's claiming to do. But for some reason, he's automatically like, well, no, she can't do this. And that, and that kind of started to
2: take me out of it a tiny bit. Yeah, but see, I, I don't think that he's ever thinking that she can't do it, whether it's a technological answer or, or if we just go with the idea that she's got those powers the way that Q has those powers. I, I, I'll give it to you that, yeah, he, he doesn't have any evidence that she is not Q. He just sort of assumes it because everybody else assumes it mm-hmm. because it's out of step for what they've seen of Q so far. But even if it was Q – I think he would hold Q's feet to the fire and say, hey, you're not, <laughs> you're not a god who was here a thousand years ago uh, and, and expecting these people to build a whole theology around this. You're a guy who just likes to mess with people and, and you're see- a guy who has more power than they have.
1: Okay, but he wouldn't call Q a con man. He would say that you're using your power in ways that's wrong. You're, you're lording it over these people. You're being a terrible person. He wouldn't say you're a sham. And that's okay, yeah, that's his enough. that's his starting point with her is no no yeah. no she's she's full of it, and and yeah. that 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 was a problem for me. Like I say, if he had been given mm-hmm. one or two clues and had decided that in the face of everybody else's belief or everybody else's wondering, then I would have been more on board with it. But for his to de- for him to decide immediately, no 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 no, I'm sort of like, well, where's where's the Picard who wonders, who questions, who you know, who needs evidence. He's not
2: that that impressed with earthquakes. Well, I guess guess that could be it. (laughs) There was another
1: thing that kind of took me out of it a tiny bit. Okay. Um, Different than Justice, you know, when uh, Wes and the crew were on the planet and he stepped on the flowers and that earned him the death sentence. Uh, In devils Mm -hmm. do. The Enterprise isn't even in coastal waters. It's in space. It is no (laughs) part of this contract. And just because somebody wrote a piece of paper that said, well, if there's anything orbiting the planet, that's mine too. Right. Why, why are they even playing? Why why are they even... I could I could honestly see Picard saying, all right, well, sorry, anybody who's on the planet. We're going to do our best to get you off here. But no, my ship is my ship. That part uh, kind of took me out a tiny bit as well. It certainly doesn't have the excitement that a lot of the, you know, Why Picard Hates His Brother uh, episodes do. It certainly doesn't have the, the, the sort of the, the, the human side sure. uh, that so many of these episodes do. But... This is going to end up being one of our longer episodes of Mission Log in a while because it just gives you so much stuff to chew on and so much stuff to think about. And it really does. I mean, you say at the beginning of the show, and I didn't know this before you said it, that this was originally written around the time of Star Trek. Well, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it, right, it, right. and and yeah and and I think that's one of the reasons that I, like I'm I'm having so much fun playing in it. I don't like necessarily all the stuff that we end up having to say and I'm not looking forward to some of the emails that we may or may not get as a result. Mm-hmm. But this is Star Trek. I mean this is Star Trek in ways that that even the bonding wasn't and the bonding still kind of was, but I mean this this is these are the big issues. That, yeah. that, that that i feel like that star trek was made for so even if it's not as exciting and even if you know yeah i make fun of her clothes but i mean it's yeah i think this episode it's like you say it's an important episode is it a great episode well it's important <laughs> so maybe mm-hmm. i mean even if it's not the most exciting or things like that um Certainly, we've 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 addressed some of the messages, I think. But uh, I don't know. Lay them out for me, man. What what do you feel like some of the messages uh, were?
2: I, I feel like there's so much. Uh, no such thing as magic. <laughs> so I'll just I'll, I'll throw that one out there. Okay. Um, and you know, going back to this idea of religion, it, it's not really making a statement here about religion or belief the way that we did in Who Watches the Watchers. I mean, I think we'll always sort of hold that one up as. Star Trek, the next generation, telegraphing to the audience what it thinks. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are making some other statements here about fear as a motivator and letting our emotions do our thinking for us, um, not being skeptical and following evidence to to where it leads, but rather having the conclusion before we even investigate the evidence. Um, It's looking at the danger of a quick fix, without understanding the root cause or consequence. Um, It's saying that there's no shortcut to peace and prosperity. Um, In Picard's cross-examination of Jared, I'm reminded definitely about Gene Roddenberry's statement about aliens building the pyramids. He's the guy who famously has said, and and you see it in so many clips of his that get replayed, he says, of course aliens didn't build the pyramids. Human beings did it because they're clever and they work hard. And that's what Picard was dragging out of Jared Mm -hmm. to say, you don't need to give over the hard work that you did to some supernatural deity. You did it. You did it, so take credit for it. Um, There's no need to introduce this other element there. It's totally unnecessary. Um, The flip side of that and the problem that Jared is having here is that if you believe in something strongly enough, you'll probably find a way to make it come true. Mm. So here's all these people believing that their world is coming to an end. So they're going to figure out a way to make their world come to an end. (laughs) That's kind of the unfortunate thing of seeing all the running and all the fires and all the looting and and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, even if we're not making a statement specifically about religion, I I think we are we're saying something about a kind of belief. And, And we're saying that here's the danger of turning one's back on, on science, or at the very least, critical thinking, turning one's back on critical thinking. Fear is a motivator here, and once you get theology involved, I, I feel like that's what's exploding the problems. It, it, it's just absolutely making them swell to, to portions that they, or proportions that they didn't expect you know, to this day in the 21st century, we have people announcing that their particular interpretation of their particular deity or religion has told them when the world will end Mm -hmm. and when and where the wars will be fought and who should lead us into it or who should lead us out of it. And you think that, okay, if you remove that element, of relying on the supernatural interpretation, then and only then can you actually get to, to figuring out the root cause of those issues. So, like you just said, man, this may not be the best episode, but there is so much to chew on. And I probably only just scratched the surface here. What what did you find? I feel like the messages here.
1: We might have actually left a couple of things out, but, you know, we may just have mm-hmm. to as well. Um yeah. I mean, there are interesting ideas uh, being presented here, like you said, about belief. Uh, maybe faith, but definitely belief. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, these people all think their world is going to end. They believe their world is about to end. So they go out looting and setting fires and staging raids that will you know, end parts of their world mm-hmm. because they know it's going to happen. And so they're, they're living into that. Uh, more than that, though, a thousand years ago, these people believed that their world was going to get better. So yeah. they you know, switched from an industrialized society to an agrarian society. They got rid of all their weapons. They enacted environmental initiatives. They believed that their world was going to get better. So you know, they set about making their world better. I would love to think that a message here could be that you don't need God to be good. Mm-hmm. You don't need fear to motivate. Uh, that tends to be what we as humans use, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of a drag. I would love it if that weren't the case. I... I know we we try not to have this show speak to anything uh that's sort of of the moment yeah. um but it's you know consuming large parts of our lives right now. There is a political party right now as 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 we record this that's trading on fear. There's another that's trying to trade on hope, but hope doesn't sell nearly as well. it doesn't seem. And and I'm always amazed when I watch, you know, some rallies where, where a, a, a leader will stand there and say, everyone is afraid. And everyone claps. Mm-hmm. And the leader stands <laughs> there and says, everything is going in the wrong direction. And everyone cheers. Yeah. And if we keep telling ourselves that that's true. And look, I'm not saying there aren't problems. But when we speak in absolutes. This country is going in the wrong direction. This planet is going in the wrong direction. If we keep saying that and we keep saying that to ourselves we keep believing that, we're toast. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, I don't know, kind of a bummer. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I wish I, – I I I, if, if we're going to use fear as a motivator, I guess I wish that we were all afraid of the same things. And but instead but of what? like You know, subdividing it into smaller, smaller things. Well, no, you be afraid of that guy and that guy is there. I'm tell him to be afraid of that one and I'm yeah. just going to rake it in. Um I will say one other thing that you pointed out and I loved it as well. I love the fact that Picard's inability to explain a thing doesn't automatically make the only other explanation offered accurate. And I yeah. know I've been saying this whole time, I don't feel like this episode is addressing deities as much as I feel like it's addressing organized religion or even addressing the way people will use belief like that. But I I, I did love the fact that, you know, Picard's like Person standing there saying, "Well, can you prove I'm not God?" Picard's <laughs> <Becker's> like, <laughs> "No." Well, then I must be. Well, no. I mean, that's you know, I, I really did. I really did love that part as well. And then I feel yeah. like there's well, probably a bunch of other stuff that we're still missing.
2: Yeah. Well, no. I mean, that, that's a, you know, you, you can't prove a negative, and the so Picard cannot prove that she is not. But the burden of proof is still on Ardra to prove that she is, and she's got a lot longer way to go to actually do that. But I, I want to go back to that thing that you said about you know, fear as a motivator or or this promise of God to be good, mm-hmm. you know, the, the pressure of God to be good. But here's Star Trek again putting Picard this time instead of Kirk as it was you know, 25 years before this,
0: mm-hmm.
2: putting Picard in that position to say – you don't need either because you did the work and you've already proven you can do the work and do better. You know? So that, that sort of star Trek's message here is using Picard as the guy to spread that message. He has to hammer it into Jared's head. (laughs) You know, he's got to, he's got to drag Jared up to that line. And, and even Jared backs down when Ardra asks him in that cross examination. But once she's out of the picture, you, you hope man you just hope I, I hope they don't go back to war <laughs> <That seems. laughs>
1: I hope they don't go back to war either but I mean I, no no offense to you and what you're saying about mm. Picard's message but I mean Ardra then does come back and say by the way okay so you guys did this all on your own and bang up job uh, would mm. you have if I hadn't scared you into it yeah and his answer is oh no no,
2: Well, that's what, <laughs> that's what he believes. That's what he <laughs> believes. But he wasn't there a thousand years ago. You know, again, a thousand years ago, you had the government of Ventaxa or Ventax 2 mm-hmm. building their own better life. You know, laying the seeds for having a better life in the future for the generations that came. Cleaning their own water supply. Yeah. Uh. Getting rid of the pollution that they had there. You okay, know? but it, it either... It was them doing it.
1: Either they had something like an Ardra show up, or they were, and I want to say smart enough to know, they believed that people would need the fear of an Ardra to keep it going. Maybe yeah, well, you even would. had, in, like, an enlightened 10 years where somebody's like, we can do all this stuff. Okay, how do we keep people doing this? Oh, I know. Right. Let's scare the pants off them. What, like, a thousand <laughs> years? Please, they'll all be dead in a thousand years. Nobody will even remember. <laughs> it's not going to be a... pro. Oh...
2: Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. that's depressing, right? No, yeah. no. it's awesome. I think it's great. We <laughs> solved
1: everything, and now we can do that thing that we do where we, uh, I don't know, you set them up. I'll <laughs> and I'll let people know that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more about, uh, oh, the, the entertainment stuff they're doing, the things they want to sell you, uh, the, uh, the, the good work that the Roddenberry Foundation does. Not that it's not all good work, but I mean, you know, the other good work. Roddenberry.com is the place to find all that stuff out. And for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com.
2: Next week, Clues.
0: Some of the music permission log provided by Warp11, online at Warp11.com, and from the album messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kiTheory.com. <music> Radar is an acronym. Ardra, is not. But, for fun, make up the thing for which the acronym, Ardra, would stand, and send it to John Odge. I think he would love that and transmission.